welcome to More Than Tracy Turnblad, the podcast about fat representation in entertainment. My name is Abby Rose Morris. I am your host. Today, I'm interviewing Kimye Muroya, a Philadelphia-based theater performer. She also recently starred in a feature film called Antarctica, and she's a founding member of the Philadelphia Asian Performing Artists, which is a group that focuses on making known the work and presence of Asian theatrical artists in the Philly area. So before we get to the interview, I want to talk to you about something I have been thinking about a lot. So that is uh, a person I think you are probably all familiar with, and that would be the I'm So Fat friend. I know we all have one, or lots, or we are one, or all of the above. I've certainly been one. So that's exactly what the I'm So Fat friend is. It's that friend who, when you're hanging out, maybe you're shopping, maybe you're trying on clothes or something like that, and they just talk a lot about how much they hate their body and call themselves fat. And they use the word fat against themselves. And uh, when they say, I'm so fat, probably the other friend says, you're not fat. And probably the friend who actually is fat sits in the back and thinks, if you're fat, what am I? And how do you think of me if you think it's this unacceptable that your body looks as it does when you are so much smaller than I am? So I've thought a lot about where the I'm so fat friend is coming from. And to be honest, I think at its core, it's simple, mere insensitivity. It is a person being so wrapped up in their own bad body image, in their own fears of becoming fat, that they just forget who's around them. That is an optimistic explanation. I mean, the other explanation is just that they don't give a shit or that they're trying to drop a hint. For a while, I had the theory that my thinner friends who called themselves fat were trying to drop hints around me so that I would... uh realize how fat and embarrassing I was to them and I would lose weight. Um, But I I actually don't think that that is what it is because when I have been the I'm so fat friend, it's been a matter of being so, so wrapped up in my own feelings about my body and my own negativity and negative self-image that I cannot, I, I cannot see beyond it. I can't stop talking about it. I can't stop expressing it. There's a certain kind of personality that when they are being tormented by something and are obsessed with something and think about it all the time, such as my body is too big, they can't not say it. Hello, uh, my name is Abby and I have a Leo ascendant and I don't really believe in astrology, but I think that this is probably a good explanation for why I can't not talk about things that bother me. Anyway, (laughs) um, sometimes it definitely can be the fishing for compliments thing. Uh, the, the, you know, waiting for someone to say, oh, you're not fat, seeking reassurance about it. And, uh, sometimes I think it's not even that. Sometimes I think it's just somebody expressing something that is bothering them. And the problem with that is you need to look beyond yourself. You need to look at who's in the room with you. I mean, don't say it if there's no fat people in the room either, but like, look at who's around you and look at how you are being perceived because it's it's not a good look. And uh, fat people, if your friend does this, you need to call them out. You have to say, stop talking about your body like that. You're describing my body. But these people, especially people in smaller bodies who are talking all the time about how they, quote, feel fat, end quote, or think they look fat, Uh, or think they're getting fat. These people, 
they are so afraid of getting fat. And I almost have compassion for that because I, I mean, like, I know how society treats fat people. Like, yes, the media has lots of culpability in this. Yes, the media calls women fat who clearly aren't. And then, you know, thinner women see that and decide they must be fat or (laughs) would be considered fat and they internalize that and then they talk to their fat friends about it who actually are fat. Um, So like I have compassion for where they're coming from because it is really scary to gain weight and to worry that you're going to be fat and feel like your body is out of your control. And, um, And if you have issues with food, this is like compounded, right? So that's fat phobia to me. Fat phobia is the fear of becoming fat. It's the, it's not the fear of fat people or the fear of fatness. I don't see that as much. I see disgust and I see hatred. I don't see fear of fat people. I see fear of becoming a fat person. And why are you becoming a why are you afraid of becoming a fat person? Oh yeah, because fat people are jokes. Fat people are tragedies. And where do you see that reinforced? The fucking media, entertainment, theater, film, uh, whatever. All of it. And like, you want to be a main character. You don't want to be the fat character. I don't blame you. I don't either. But also like the fact that maybe you have this fat friend who's like going shopping with you, hanging out with you, who is your friend. Like, Maybe that should tell you that fat people's lives aren't all tragedies and aren't all, you know, not all fat people are just the side character to you. So this side character thing also plays into the fact that there also is this portrayal of fat people as a sounding board for your emotional labor or like we see fat people as mothers so much that it's almost like the role of mother gets thrust on us in our personal lives. And so people like want to talk to us about these things and want to confess it. And maybe there's an element of, oh, I think you'll get it because I suspect you've had body struggles too because your body is big. But I just, uh, I caution all you folks who may be doing that to try not to dredge up fat people's trauma around their body size because we all have it by uh, reinforcing to us how much you fear looking like us. So to the I'm so fat friend, I say, I get you, I was you, but I'm begging you to look beyond your your negative perceptions of fatness, not even just of yourself, but of fatness as a whole, and to be... a a better friend to us because the people who've said these things to me, I loved them. And the people who I've said these things to loved me. And we just need to be clear with our friends about what harms us and what they need to be cognizant of. And uh, in order to do that, we got to start a dialogue about it. Hence, podcast. Uh, So speaking of um, this podcast. I'm now going to share with you my awesome interview with Kimia Maroya. So hi there, Kimie. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so happy to be here. 
So let's jump in. Tell me a little about yourself and start from the very beginning. Like, what's your origin story in theater and your origin story in terms of uh, feeling fat phobia directed at you? Yeah. (laughs) So fat phobia has been, like, present for, like, I was always a chubby kid. And then I just got fatter in college. But, like, that's always just been, like, a thing that's, like, present in my life and things that I, like, have been aware of. Um, So it's always been a part of your experience as an artist? Yeah. I mean, but, like, there's a lot of things that you don't realize are part of the experience until, like, you have a moment where it hits you and you're like, ah, I see what's going on. So, like, for the majority of, like, my pre-professional career, which was, like, when I was doing a lot of community theater and, and college theater and, like, taking theater classes when I was, like, in middle school and stuff like that. Yeah. Majority of that, like, I don't think I was like super aware of that phobia and also of like racial things because for those listening I am uh, a mixed race uh, Japanese American woman and um, so yeah for the majority of that like and it wasn't a problem with like community theater and stuff because when you have community theater, it typically more reflects the community that it's in. Um, So even though I was like the sole Asian person around, like that was just the reality of me living in the the places that I lived. um, The fat phobia wasn't as, uh, as big of a deal. Mm -hmm. Like I've, I played uh, a good number of, of like, prominent characters in these like community theater productions it was like when I get to college or things like kind of really settle in and like I've been doing community theater since I was nine my mom took me to my first audition then um because she also does community theater and has since she was a kid so so really it's all my mom's fault that I'm an actor so she really can't complain <laughs> Um, she's the one who gave me the bug (laughs) and, um, (laughs) so yeah, so getting to college, I went to college at Temple University in Philadelphia and I really started struggling with feeling, um, feeling a place and uh, having like an identity Mm -hmm. as who I was, which is a fat Asian woman. Um, And that identity is, I don't see it represented anywhere. Um, Yeah. Right. There's like Margaret Cho and like, that's it. (laughs) I would call her midsize, but yeah. Midsize. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's not like Hollywood skinny. Right. Um, And and that's about it. And so, and I don't, a lot of Margaret Cho's comedy is a little too blue for me. <laughs> Can you expand on that a little bit? Oh, yeah. Um, so blue comedy is uh, um, more adult comedy. So like a little more like crass, um, which is fine. And it's a, it's, you know, some people enjoy that. I personally don't enjoy like listening to a lot of like sex jokes and stuff and part of that is because I'm also um an asexual person (laughs) 
So <laughs> these just, you know, layers upon layers and upon layers. Um, ogres are like onions. <laughs> and, <laughs> and yeah, so, um, so while Margaret Cho, you know, is a pioneer in, you know, Asian representation and also like Asian representation that's not like a meek and demure yes. kind of girl. So like, that's really awesome. It's just like her brand totally like didn't didn't super fit with my like tastes of um of like comedy and 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 media that I like to consume. Right. Yeah, so beyond that, like what was it like being especially being a kid and seeing zero representation of yourself? I mean I didn't think that I could be a professional actor for a very long time. I mean, like, that was something that I wished that I could be, but, like, I didn't think that it would happen because I was just like, oh, that's not someone who makes it onto screen and that's not someone who makes it onto stage. Um, Even just, like, being an Asian person Um, and also just being a chubby person and having having the people around me be like, Oh, if you, you know, if this is something you want to do, then you've got to lose weight and stuff like that. And, um, and that's, you know, that's really unfortunate and uh, screw all of them because now I'm a professional actor and I did not lose weight. <laughs> I gained. <laughs> so, Can I ask, did you have a turning point where you were like, screw all of them? I think there was a moment kind of in college where, you know, I wasn't, getting cast in the main stage productions. I was cast in one in a very small role and it was uh, because somebody had dropped out. Um, So I just, you know, I wasn't getting cast and I was seeing who was getting cast and it was the skinny white people. And, um, And for me, it was like an outrage of, you know, cause like I, in junior year, I started auditioning for shows outside of the school and I started getting work. And that, in addition to the amount of work that I have gotten post-grad, has spoken to me that I have a lot to offer and I have a certain talent level that just wasn't being utilized in my college career. Right. So when you're not getting cast and you're not getting feedback about why, I think a lot of people can turn that in on themselves and think like, what am I doing wrong? Or am I a bad actor? Yeah. Am I a bad actor? Why aren't they noticing me? And then what it really is, is they're just like, well, we don't know what to do with you. Yeah. 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 And I'm sure that's just so compounded as an Asian person. Yeah, sure. They certainly like overlap and uh, yeah, compound is a good word to use. Um, because yeah, if I was a skinny Asian, then yeah, maybe they'd have put me somewhere. If I was a fat white person, then maybe they would have put me somewhere. But um, being a fat Asian <laughs> is certainly a um, a choice <laughs> if you're if you're like casting a show, and it is a choice that you certainly can make. Um, they just chose not to make it. Right. So I'm curious if you saw this show up in classes, in material you were assigned, like what was that like for you? 
So my professors were amazing. It was the main stage production, like kind of, which is the outward face of the institution. Right. Um, you know, they're trying to generate a bit of money. They, those are the pictures that go on the brochures, right. you know, that's where I was struggling and finding, uh, uh, a place. And, um, you know, I was able to speak privately with a lot of my professors and uh, voice my frustrations and my concerns and found that most of them agreed with me. You, you know, the argument can be made that, you know, like that's that's the world that they're preparing us for, that like you only make those connections when you get those those roles and stuff. But the thing is, it's a collegiate, it's an educational setting. Um, educational theater is where we need to be giving people the experience to try new things rather than just like doing factory setting like these are the straight white people plays that we're doing here's a black play um, <laughs> and then uh, and these are the straight white people that we're casting yes <laughs> Um, can you speak a little bit about queerness and asexuality and how that's affected you as a performer? Yeah, um, I didn't really realize that I was, I couldn't like, I didn't realize I was like asexual until um, in college. Um, I had, I knew about asexuality, but I felt like it didn't fit in because there were like parts of me that were like, oh, but I still like to do this, but I don't like to do that. Um, and um and then I was reading a little bit more about like different types of asexuality because it really is like an umbrella um term for a lot of like you know there's demisexuality there's um gray asexuality great sexuality there's you know there's there's a lot of a lot of different types and I kind of remember like shooting up in bed like one night it was like 11 o'clock my roommate's like what what are you doing what's happening and I'm like I'm asexual wow just a light bulb moment <laughs> yeah yeah a real light bulb moment you know it's it's sometimes funny just because I feel that there is this kind of funny intersection where fat people are very much desexualized especially in a lot of educational theater um, I know that's like definitely happened to me and a lot of the other folks that I've talked to so like yeah. it's a it's a it's an odd intersection and I also am on the asexual spectrum and have always found that it's like it's weird because a lot of um sometimes fat or body positive empowerment seems very sexual to me. For sure. And I'm not always comfortable with that. Yeah. I mean part of the problem is I, I had someone who was very close to me, who I love very much, um, when I was kind of coming out as asexual to them. Um asked if maybe like trying to like psychoanalyze me a little bit um asked if maybe I am asexual because I'm ashamed of my body in not so many words um but like you know being embarrassed to take off my clothes and be perceived as a sexual object because of like my fatness mm -hmm. which I don't think is part of it I mean it could very well be but I don't think it is um, and so that was kind of a harmful moment. Yeah, for sure. And I will say for me, I think that both things are, can be true. Like 
certainly I don't think I would be comfortable having sex with someone I didn't know because of that. And that's like a thing where I'm like, does that mean I'm on the A spectrum or does that mean I'm uncomfortable with my body and don't want to be perceived? Because like sometimes I'm like, well, if I lost weight, what would it be? Like, you know, I, it's, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but something I think that is so easy to internalize and believe about the narrative we're fed around weight loss is that losing weight makes you a different person. And in my pretty limited experience with losing weight, that has not been true. And you still have all the same experience. You still have all the things that are inherent about you. So if you're losing a lot of weight, people will perceive you differently and that will change. But what you actually want, you know, may or may not. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I remember being in high school, my like senior year of high school was a very rough one for me. I was definitely at one of my lowest points and I found myself aggressively unhungry and, and I did lose weight. I lost a lot of weight and, um, I do remember like later gaining that plus more back in college in my freshman year, actually. And um, my mom commenting like, oh, but you know, you looked so good in your senior year. And having to be like, mom, you have to stop saying that to me because that was a time where I wasn't eating and that's not healthy. Um, and you putting that up on a pedestal as something to be attained. Like, yeah, maybe I looked great, but that was not, I didn't achieve that through healthy means. For sure. And I think that's also such a common side effect of depression and anxiety of people just losing their appetites. Yeah. I mean, it sucks because like now I still have depression and anxiety, but instead my my go-to is food instead of not eating. So it's like two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's crazy because, yeah, it's that um, you're getting positive reinforcement for doing something negative. Right. Um, so really what everybody needs to do is just not comment on people's <laughs> bodies because you don't know what's going on. Yeah. You don't know what they're doing. You know, um, it, people thought that, like, Anne Hathaway, when she lost a ton of weight for uh, Les Mis, like, even though she looked like, sick they were like oh she looks great it's like really she looks like a skeleton and while I understand where she's coming from with doing that in order to like portray this person who's starving and in desperate place it was certainly unhealthy how she went about it and it was and and you know final result we go was it necessary like right and I think that you know it's yeah it's just like what actors will often put themselves through for the sake of realism that we find in a lot of like typical uh film actors or like method film actors it's like all right so your body is your instrument and to be destroying it in a harmful way is not conducive to the length of your career you know and it's, you know, and it's a struggle and we're like constantly watching the celebrities like um, how people like how seeing the tabloids 
in the grocery store when you're younger, like seeing people like commenting on like, oh my God, she's gained so much weight or, oh, she's looking really great these days. But then like, oh, but she lost all the weight, but then she gained that back and more. Oh, what's going on there? Like having people speculating on someone's like mental health and personal health just based on their size there is just not. And like seeing that happen to someone who is famous and who is an actor and a celebrity and like maybe someone that like that you know that's a status that like maybe I want to attain to I'm not sure these days that I want to be famous but like but like when I was younger being like oh yeah like I want to be you know that would be cool to be an actor um and be on magazines and stuff like but seeing that person get picked to pieces over her fluctuation in in health and body and like mental health it's so conflated with mental health and those tabloids. I am so glad you brought this up because that was a huge thing for me as a kid, that kind of media and that kind of coverage. And then especially of actors, because I saw myself so outside of that, like I was so much fatter than even the ones who were talked about as being fat mm-hmm. that I was like, you know, number one, what will they say about me? And number two, like, I can't be an actor because I don't even look like the actors that are too fat. Exactly, yeah. 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 Have there been any other influences, um, like those magazines or any TV books, you know, media that's taught you things about fatness? The media that we're shown surrounding fat people and fat people's stories are typically based on them being the com- the comedic relief mm-hmm. um, and they're not usually allowed to have storylines about like legitimately falling in love or making some sort of profound realization it's it's like a lot of like food jokes it's a lot of fart jokes it's you know yeah falling down eating yeah Food, falling down, farting, fatness. <laughs> the four Fs. The four Fs. <laughs> but knowing that, like, that wasn't who I was in real life, like... It's so disorienting. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy weird that it's, like, I, you know, yeah, I do fart. Yeah, I make jokes. Yeah, I eat food. But, like, those aren't, like, my main definers, my main identity traits. Like, yeah. that's... Like, I'm a person who, you know, occasionally, like, sits and thinks about, like, philosophy. I'm a person who, like, I, uh, when I was younger, I did, like, um, circus arts stuff when I. That's uh, so cool. Yeah. And and then in college, like, I kind of, like, latched a bit onto this identity of being, like, an actor combatant where, you know, like, I have four certificates for um, stage combat, things like that. Um which is another interesting thing because like there's like a whole trope on like tvtropes.com called acrophatic and it's like the trope of a fat person like all of a sudden breaking out a really like acrobatic thing like i think this the the best way to explain it is kung fu panda that's a great example yeah um, for sure but like yeah i mean honestly that kind of describes me like i do a lot of um combat stuff uh i 
two of the the last live theater plays that I was in prior to this pandemic. Uh, um, <laughs> I made an entrance doing a cartwheel and people were always like, oh, like, and it didn't feel like an, oh, like, um, oh, uh, there's a cartwheel. It more felt like a, oh, oh, she can do a cartwheel. Like that felt like the, the energy and response from the audience. Um, and yes, I can do a cartwheel. Yes, I can do a shoulder roll. Like, yes, I, you know, like I got, I have all these tricks in my bag. I can, you know, I can, I can do the worm. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> You don't, you know, but it's not stuff that you would like think of when you see me because we're so inundated with this idea that fat people can only sit and like walk for a short period of time before wheezing. But like in reality, the very last show I did in person, which was Man of God at um, Interact Theater Company here in Philadelphia, uh, I had a like a Kung Fu Wushu broadsword uh, fight in the middle of it. Wow. Um, where I, you know, like, it was like really awesome. I had so much fun doing that. Um, we like augmented it with like some like uh, matrixy kind of like <laughs> moves. And, um, but like the way that, that that scene is structured is like the other characters in the play also are helping us by like moving objects for us or like we're doing a lot of weight sharing mm-hmm. which was nervous for me at the beginning because I was like weight sharing those weight yeah. sharing exercises are always very nervous like always make me very nervous because I feel you yeah because like maybe I dress nicely that day and you can't really tell how fat or heavy I am and then if I'm doing a weight sharing exercise like I always feel like I'm gonna crush this person like a flat pancake yes um, so that was, um, doing those, like, there were points where I got, like, I was, my entire body weight was being held by, like, one person or something in this yeah. moment, and, like, always feeling really terrible in those moments, like, even during the performances, you know, like, oh, yeah. this is the part where I have to step on Annie's, uh, thigh and, mm. like, jump across and, like, I'm really like always in my head going, I'm sorry, Annie. I'm sorry, Annie. I'm sorry, Annie. But like, yeah. I, I wish that I didn't have to think about that because I should be in those moments concentrated on what I'm doing, which is holding a sword. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Let's talk a little bit about your your good experiences. And I know you're based in Philly, and it sounds like you've had a lot of really great experiences in the Philly community. And I, I too, lived in Philly for four years, and I loved it there. And I've always found that community to be super affirming. So I'm curious to hear, like, what's your favorite experience? I think to date my favorite professional uh, production has been um, The Sea Voyage with uh, with Philadelphia Artist Collective, um, short form pack. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, I played Clorinda in the Sea Voyage and Sea Voyage is kind of like, it was written by some of Shakespeare's contemporaries as kind of like a commentary slash parody of the Tempest. 
Oh. So Clorinda is the like Miranda character. So she's an ingenue. Um, yeah. And she's this person who was. So the story of the sea voyage is that there's this like group of uh, Amazon women, basically, like that have been that are survivors of a shipwreck um, on an island, and then another ship wrecks and some men come on and they're like ha men um, <laughs> even though the like leader of the amazons is like um no i we have sworn off men you are not allowed to touch men ever um uh-huh so my character clorinda who is um she's the daughter of the leader of the amazons and she was born on the island so her mother was pregnant when their original shipwreck so she has never seen a man um so she is fascinated by this and um, promptly falls in love with one of them who is in love with another woman who was on the shipwreck with him. So there's like this weird like love triangle, love angle thing happening. And um, I just, it felt really freeing to play Clorinda because she's... Um, someone who like we you know when we talked about in rehearsal she's not bound by uh like societal means because she was just raised on this island with all women where they're just right. like being really positive and informing for each other so she is like this wild child um we had the first scene is like her coming in from hunting with two other women and uh we had them carrying weapons but Clorinda carrying none and like the joke was that she like she hunts with her bare hands. <laughs> she's just like this like really cool, powerful um, young woman. And that felt like really awesome and really freeing also like to play someone who had no concept of like, this is what I should look like because she's right. raised on a desert island by a bunch <laughs> of, like shipwrecked women. And, um, and she has a moment in the show where she's like, she sees the the woman, the sole woman from the new shipwreck, and she's like, "I don't look like that. I don't look like her, and maybe she is what I should be looking like. Like, oh, she's soft and she's precious and and, and stuff." And um, we had. Uh, a wonderful actress by the name of Stephanie Hodge, who's a good friend of mine, playing uh, that character. And she is a skinny white girl. <laughs> uh-huh. So that was a, an interesting moment for me as a person to play into because like that was, those were feelings that I am very intimately familiar with. But to have this be Clorinda's first experience with that was like just a lot of fun. It's also such a beautiful like layer to that casting that I think that sometimes is missed because we're either like stuffing people into tropes and boxes or it's like, well, a fat person can play Juliet, but like it does add an interesting layer to put someone in this exact position. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hate the phrase like colorblind casting. Yeah. I am a proponent of color conscious casting because I believe that you can add layers to a story or you can change a story simply by the bodies that you are placing on stage and not changing a single other thing. 
um, which is what is was what is happening in, as we're, what we're talking about this moment in the sea voyage. Nothing mm-hmm. else has been changed. It is simply the two bodies who are on stage inhabiting these roles and the extra layer that is defined by which bodies they are. Yes. Um, I had a, I had a friend who, uh, I, I talk about this particular thing a lot, but it's stuck with me, but I had a friend who saw a production of the Scottish play um, and told me about it afterwards. Unfortunately, I did not get a chance to see it, but I wish I had because their casting was it was all people of color except for the witches who were three white men. Oh my goodness. That is so interesting. Isn't that brilliant? Yes. So because it's like the witches are manipulating this and that's just so evocative of the way that the white community in general pits communities of color against each other. Because if you have us in fighting, then there's not going to be unity to, to rise up and, and fight for each other against like white supremacy and you know i i don't know if they like put any sort of like forward in it but like i don't think that they're you know like if you do a casting choice like that i don't think that there's any need to explain further the people who understand it will understand it and the people who don't want to understand it it'll they'll still enjoy the play you know it'll go right over their heads and they don't have to get like upset about it (laughs) Yeah. Um, And also maybe it'll subconsciously get into someone's mind, too. Like if you see these white men manipulating all these people of color on stage, maybe somewhere in the back of your brain, you're going to see, you know, white men as the manipulators, maybe for the first time. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's powerful. Um, And then the other like really excellent recent experience that I had um, was actually on my feature film debut, Antarctica which is now available yes. for rent or purchase on, sorry, I got to do my plug. Uh, on, you you uh, absolutely should. <laughs> I will link it in the description. <laughs> on Amazon Prime, it's available on Apple TV. It's available on Vudu. It's available on YouTube, on Fandango, on uh, Spectrum, on Dish, uh, lots, pretty much anywhere you can stream a platform. So the thing about Antarctica was that it was like I did not know this director or this writer who's this you know, he, he wrote and directed the, the, the movie. Um, I did not know him in any way, shape or form. I had no connections with him. He wrote this film with my character in mind as a fat Asian young girl, young woman. Mm-hmm. In my life, I have never ever played a part written, for a fat Asian young woman. I have very rarely played parts written for Asians and even more rarely played a part written for a Japanese person. And I, there, I know that there are plays out there with parts written for heavier people, for fat people. Uh, I don't think I've had the opportunity to, to step into any of those roles. Um, So this was like a really interesting, this was a first time, experience for me was first like reading the script before I was doing the audition process going this is me this is myself reflected in these pages and this will be myself reflected on these screens whether or not I get cast in this I was like this is me in high school this is it was the first moment where I really truly felt seen truly felt represented right because even if you play all these wonderful and dimensional characters they're still not 
written for your specific identities and like you playing them maybe going against the what was originally produced or what the writer intended or whatever um but to have that like thing that's specifically like written for you and it's in the text and your experience is acknowledged it's not just relying on the representation of whatever bodies are on stage or screen yeah and um i mean the thing is like when you inhabit when you're you know the person who looks like i am and you inhabit like laura from from glass menagerie when you inhabit nina from uh seagull when you inhabit clarinda from the sea voyage they oftentimes feel like an act of defiance or rebellion yeah and antarctica still felt like an act of defiance but in a way that was like a claiming of my own identity rather than a i'm taking this thing and making it mine being like this thing is already mine um so that was yeah and the the even better thing about antarctica is that while this part was written for fat asian that is in no way relevant to the story i think there's one mention of her asianness and there's no mentions explicitly of fatness in the script um she is a human first and um and that was really liberating she's someone who's allowed to be a complex human she's a grumpy like sardonic sarcastic teenager in her senior year of high school she is a little bit in love with her best friend which is an experience of I've had many times um, she's she's allowed to fall in love and be a viable love interest for this other person that's um, who is played by uh, the delightful Bubba Weiler who is a skinny white man <laughs> um, he for anyone who's who's interested Bubba played uh, uh, Scorpius Malfoy in uh, on Broadway there's like there's this beautiful scene of their first moments of like intimacy where they're you know they start taking off their clothes which was a very scary moment for me um filming that and also then very scary moment anytime i watch the film with friends or family and it's a very scary moment anytime i think about people i don't know watching it yeah. The way that I was able to get through it was because I don't get like fully naked. I'm in my bra and I'm in my panties. So there's a lot of the stomach area is available. There's a lot of my thighs mm-hmm. are available. And like those are like touchy areas. You know, my my upper arms like right in here where I have like some like, you know, chicken wings going. Same. That's one of my biggest insecurities. Those are like, yeah, so many insecure areas. And um, so all of that is visible. Like, um, and the way that I was able to work through it was thinking about how I never had that representation growing up. I never saw someone who looked like me in this light, in this like tender, beautiful moment. It's not a joke. It's not um that's not like highlighted as anything special other than these two young people experiencing 
like a little bit of intimacy for the very first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and while a lot of the rest of the movie is like comedy and dark comedy, like this moment is, is explicitly not. Um, so that was like, I had like the way that I got through it was just thinking about like, I needed this. So maybe I can be this for someone else. Yes. Um, the flip side of that is that I had a lot of people like crew people in the moment. And then people once the film came out telling me that like, I was brave for doing that. Right. Which I mean, yeah, I was because like, I was really scared to do it, but I'm not sure that that's how they meant it. Yeah. And, and I'm sure they meant it in a very like complimentary and nice way, but I can feel the like underlying comment of like, you're brave to take off your clothes. Right. Um, so even if like, that's not how they meant it, that's how I'm like perceiving it. And yeah, that's also a problem because like my brain immediately is going to like, Oh, that's what they mean. Um, and yeah, so yeah, it's, it's very tricky. And like the thing about like a closed set on film is that like, there's still like 15 people there. Right. And then you're also acutely aware of everyone back at video village watching on the monitors. Like it was, um, it was nerve wracking. I'm like my, you know, my stretch marks are there and all their glory. Um, it's yeah, it was, uh, I am very proud of the work that happened in that scene and on that day, but I'm still suffering from like mixed feelings yeah. about it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just like when someone's giving you a compliment and underneath that compliment is because you're, you know, they're clearly associating you with yeah. something undesirable. Yeah, there's some sort of like clarifier there. Right. Which even if they don't mean it, even if they right. don't mean it, like I I put it there in my mind. You know? They think if they don't speak it, it's not there, but it is so much more complex than that. Right. There's a lot of people who who go that route which they like if they if I don't speak it then we don't have to say that I said it but I'm sure there are a lot of people who have have said that to me a lot of my friends from set and everything who have said that to uh-huh. me not meaning it in that direction however right. my brain still adds that context to it because right. of the way that I've been socialized because of the way that I've been brought up seeing yeah and you have to ask people to be conscious of that that's the only way so this brings me to our last question which is what are you doing or what do you wish others would do to combat that phobia in the arts I think what I'm doing is just boldly being myself and boldly inhabiting characters and going into auditions and fucking killing them um, and that's the best that I can do. And then when I get those parts, when I get those roles, I do my best to, to do all my actor homework, to devote myself entirely to the role so that when I'm then performing it, I am that representation. Yes. Um, what other people can do is just cast a wider net. Yeah. You know, pull, 
get get more creative with your casting. I think that it's going in that direction, specifically in Philadelphia. Like we have a lot of um, like I've been, you know, I've I've had a lot of work. Um, I've had uh, a, a lot of jobs and I've seen a lot of people who are not like stereotypical. Um, so I, I feel like it's a, it, you know, Philly is is a lot of the people that I work, particularly the smaller theaters, some of the bigger theaters are still a little commercial. Yes. Yes, and I think musical theater and uh, sure. you know acting are very separate worlds at times in this Absolutely. area. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the yeah the bigger theaters and the ones that focus a lot on musical theater are certainly more commercial um, and cast commercially. Mm-hmm. But uh, the smaller theaters that are amazing gems of theaters that people should and are doing the important work, doing the real work, that yes. should be really patronizing. Um, and I mean that in a way of like becoming a patron, not like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I so agree. And I feel so much love for all those small Philly theaters. They're really, they're really doing it. Yeah. Um, I had a friend, you know, like, uh, Ines Nua theater. Yeah. Um, my friend Clarice was in, uh, a, a show that I think got very more, many very more nominations, they're uh, called Monster in the Box. and Oh, yeah. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, and it was a musical, and Clarice is uh, is a Korean-American uh, person and um, was cast as, like, the main character and, like, spoke with, like, a Scottish accent and, like, not wow. a single, you know, not a single, like, comment in the script about... I say wow because a Scottish accent is fucking hard. <laughs> Okay, so here's the thing. I thought, like, oh my god! <laughs> my great great grandfather's from abroad, so you think that I'm not Scottish, but I am. Uh, I learned a Scottish accent because my school was doing Brigadoon, but then I got cast in my first professional show, so I couldn't end up doing Brigadoon anyway. So yeah. <laughs> That was amazing. Uh, I don't know if a Scottish person hearing that would think it was amazing, but I uh, I enjoy breaking that out. <laughs> that was amazing. I'm so glad we have that on here in this <laughs> recording. Um, so before we go, one segment that you actually invented called Cast Me Cowards. So that is where you tell me one role that you uh, would not be, quote, traditionally, end quote, cast in, but you should play. Uh, Hamlet. <laughs> Love it. I am a Shakespeare nerd. Uh, I had a friend who once said, it's not that I have a boner for Shakespeare, it's that I am a boner for Shakespeare. <laughs> I relate to that very much. <laughs> so uh, I, and I love, you know, Hamlet is a play that came to me when I was in a very difficult period of my life as a, you know, as an angsty teenager and, mm-hmm. um, and uh, resonated with me then and still continues to resonate, resonate with me. Um, I know that's very cliche, but I'm owning it. Um, <laughs> and Hamlet is dealing with depression. Um, there are mentions in the script. There are words lines in the script written into the play about how he has changed physically and you know at the time that was likely a reference to the fact that Richard Burbage was playing Hamlet and he was older and fatter but I think dramaturgically you could make the argument that 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 Hamlet has gained weight from depression Mm 
Yeah. Um, which is a thing that I dealt with and I have not yet lost that weight. Um, I don't know if I ever will. I'm not actively trying because right now I don't care about losing weight. So I, I would like to see, you know, I would like to see a fat Asian Hamlet. I would like to see a you Hamlet. <laughs> if you're listening to this, cast Kimia as Hamlet. Yes. Um, cast me cowards. Yes. <laughs> so before we go, is there anything you want to plug or something you want us to leave us with? Uh, I am going to put that Antarctica link in the description. Yeah. And you can also, I'll link to it on the website as well. Absolutely. I'm not sure when this is coming out, but at the end of this month, which is January, I am playing uh, Artemis, uh, the goddess of the hunt. An asexual icon. An also. asexual icon. <laughs> yes, I had a discussion uh, during table work yesterday about her asexuality. So yeah, I'm playing Artemis in uh, a play about Artemis um, for Holland's University. It is a Zoom production. Um, and then in February, I am doing a radio play for Philadelphia Young Playwrights called um, Pandemic, which is um, written by a lovely, brilliant 11th grader about uh, the Asian experience during the early uh, few months of the pandemic in America and how, you know, Asian hate crimes against Asians were being raised and stuff. And it's also a parallel story of um, the, like, uh, 1930s and how Chinese Americans were treated then and you know with the exclusion act and the like the the marriage act where if an American woman married a Chinese man she officially became Chinese and was able then to be deported things like that um so I'll be playing a role in that play um and I'm very much looking forward to that I think this is a very brilliant young writer and I cannot wait to see what else comes out of her and then lastly, <laughs> I have I, after months of having no projects because of the pandemic, all of a sudden I'm working. <laughs> um, and lastly, in early March, I'll be in the workshop concert of uh, my friend Amanda Gulla's um, production, her new musical called Unwound, in, uh, which is the story of... Uh, Ariadne and the Minotaur in the Labyrinth and Dionysus. And I'll be playing uh, Daedalus, who is the father of Icarus and the uh, creator of the Labyrinth. Awesome. Very Greek few months. Yes. For you. Yes. I've, I got love a it, lot of, uh, I've got a lot of Greek, Greek happening here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we're telling people to cast you, but you're already booked. So you're, they're going to have to just push that a few months in advance okay as uh what about your social media handles where can people find you there certainly my uh you can find me uh my website is kimiemaroya.com that's k-i-m-i-e-m-u-r-o-y-a.com and my instagram is kimie.maroya so k-i-m-i-e dot m-u-r-o-y-a brilliant it will all be linked Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us today on More Than Tracy Turnblad, and uh, I hope you have an awesome and very fruitful artistic next few months. <laughs> thank you. All right. I just realized I don't know how to end a podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to More Than Tracy Turnblad. If you liked it, hit subscribe and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. That would be awesome. Also, follow us on social media, 
Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, all at more than Tracy T. And just tell your friends. Word of mouth is great too. You can find more information at more than Tracy Turnblad.com. Mm-hmm.